0: John Godden, I'm the lead pastor at Trailside Church. Thanks for stopping by. I hope that by the end of this message you feel encouraged, that you feel closer to Christ than you ever did before, and that through its message, you will want to be more like Jesus every single day. Enjoy the message and thanks for stopping by. My name is Sean Goddard, and I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Trailside Church, and I'm super excited um, because this is the last week we have to tear down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, i <laughs> super pumped that you're here this morning as we dive in uh, to our series of season, Seasons Greetings. I just missed y'all last week. I uh, hope y'all enjoyed the snow and the cold and the ice and then more ice and then some more ice. And then who didn't have power for more than a day? Anybody? <coughs> okay, just a few of y'all. It's good. Well. Know the Lord loves us more. Um, joke, it fits. Hey, can you turn me up just a little bit, please? Um, I'm going to pray, and then we will get started. We're going to jump right into Luke uh, one this morning. Let me pray. Father, you're good. We love you. We trust you. We know that uh, in this time that you are working, Father, because you've already come. You've already delivered, and uh, our hope is that we would be able to dive into the Scripture today that you gave us, and then we will learn more about what that looks like. That we clarify what it means to be loved by you. And that we would uh, get excited about what the future weeks hold um, because you have delivered on a promise, um, a promise that was made uh, long ago, and that we get to live in the fullness of that and what a blessing that is. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning, speak through your word. And to your name we pray. Amen. Um, so, I wanted to talk about something that I think is probably a little bit, maybe uncomfortable today. We all right with that? If God didn't already make you feel uncomfortable, thanks Todd. I want to make you feel more uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. I want to ask a question. Have you ever felt like God was actually angry at you and hurting you instead of helping you? You ever gotten to a point where you thought, you know, like, this isn't all worth it. I'm done. Like, I'm tired of giving myself. I'm tired of being the humble one. I'm tired of that. Yeah, that's a statement. I'm tired of being the kind one. I'm tired of being the one who finally says, yes, that's fine. I'm sorry. You always have to. Have you ever been to a point where you think, like this just isn't fair? I'm done. I know I have. There, there are multiple times that I've looked at people and been like, you know what? Just one time, I, I want to be the jerk and feel okay about it. You know what I mean? Like I just want to punch that dude in the face <laughs> one time and be like, I don't right, feel bad. It's okay. We're good here. But the reality is that sometimes I think what we mess up is that God actually allows us to be drawn into things that are hard and that hurt and that don't feel good because the end game if we will just be faithful to Him the end game actually is a true definition of God's favor and love. In fact, in James 1 one of the biggest question marks I ever had when I started reading the Bible this is what The start of James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, we talked about that a few months ago, actually. How do you count it joy when you meet trials of all kinds? There's some depth there. It's not even just like when you have a bad day, right? Not one kind, not one thing. When you feel like you are getting destroyed from every single angle, and nothing is getting better, and it's another thing, and another thing, and another thing, James says to count it all, joy. That's moderately confusing. At least if you're me, I'm, I don't know. I was a straight C student in high school, so maybe some of you guys are ready to kill that for me. But But then it says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, that kind of flips it on its head a little bit, right? Why why do you have to endure all these things? Because through it, God is actually perfecting you. He's growing you. He's leading you. And I think that we've missed that a lot in this Christmas season as well. And we live in the South, most of us, for most of our lives, so we've heard the Christmas story, right? We've seen Mary, who was pregnant, and we're like, that's nice then she goes and has a baby and it's beautiful and angels come and sing. Like, wow, I can get behind that. Like, I'm, I'm down with angels singing. But I want to actually dive into that a little heavier today because I think with that framework of James 1 and then talking about how this actually all went down, we might be able to learn something about our own mistake, our own place that we're in. Because that can be really tough sometimes. Because sometimes you follow Jesus and you have to ask questions like, God, is this really worth it? Like, is it really worth fighting this hard? Is the call that you've given, as we talked about Jonah a few weeks ago, the call that you've placed in me, is that actually worth fighting for? Because it would be a lot easier just to go to something else. But God's calling and his provision doesn't always feel like a blessing like we talked about last time. But it is for your good. It is for our good. And so, I want to read in Luke 1, starting in verse 26, you can go with me, but I think it'll be on the screen, judging by the other verses that are already there. And this is the story many of you guys have heard, and we're going to read through it, but stay with me. (coughs) In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled and saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now I want to pause there for a second, okay? Here's, a, here's where we're at. Mary was probably 15 to 16 years old. So those of you who have had 15, 16-year-old daughters, here you go. I want you to put that in your brain right now. 15 to 16 years old, promised to a boy named Joseph, right? Probably a couple years older, with a career. Ladies, it's important, right? Adam had a job before he had Eve. Same. Yeah. There it is. It's connecting now. All right. Yeah. 16 years old, betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal back then, I guess I can say, was pretty much like. Uh, a very intense engagement. So um, it was almost like being married without the paperwork, right? The only thing that you didn't have, you didn't live together, you didn't um, fornicate as, well, I guess it's not fornication if you're married, but you didn't have intimate relations yet. You weren't under the same house and under the same, uh, I don't know, house, I guess is what i am looking for. But you were promised to each other the only way to break it off is to actually go and get divorce papers or for someone to die. So it was very serious, very intense. Like, it's not like a, I don't like you anymore, here's the ring back kind of thing. And so here's Mary, and notice twice, two times, the angel Lord comes up and says, Oh, highly favored one, you're blessed. Now, that's interesting to me. Because, listen, again, I, I know we've heard this story a thousand times, but stay with me, because I don't want to miss this. Again, the angel says... Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you're like, okay, this is setting up well, right? And the an angel says, because of your blessing, because of your favor, you are now pregnant. If my daughter comes to me at the age of 16 and says, Dad, the Lord has found favor with me. <laughs> It's gonna be a problem. Because <laughs> she'll be a widow. No, I'm um, yeah. The Lord has found favor in you. You're blessed, and you're so blessed that you're now pregnant. Oof. So here's what the Lord's favor looked like for Mary: a teenage pregnancy. That is going to appear like you cheated on your future husband, which would then, by law, lead you to be an adulterer, which then, if Joseph, your betrothed, wanted to, could have you stoned in public in front of everyone. That's the Lord's favor. Let's not miss that, okay? Because here's what we've done. We've done a really bad job of talking about the Lord's favor, right? Even though where sometimes people say kind of jokingly, but also a little serious, like favor ain't fair. Like, because I'm God's people, nothing bad's happening to me. Everything's kosher, smooth, no problems. There's even pastors and preachers who would say, "Your, your checkbook is healthy and so is your body. Disease and sickness don't exist where God's favor lies. What? And then we read here in Luke 1, the start of the greatest story ever told, that the angel comes to Mary and says, you are blessed, you are favored, you are pregnant." Here's your cultural death sentence. I don't know that that fits with uh, having a mansion on an island and driving Lamborghinis. I'm not sure how those things go together. Because every time I see that God has called people to something, it's very rarely to a life of ease. It's very rarely to something you don't have to fight for. It's very rarely to something that every day is hard as God refines you and makes you more like him. Remember, if our goal is to be like Jesus, let's, let's remember what Jesus did when he was born. lived sinlessly and died and hung on a cross and suffocated. Our goal is to be that. To be that heart filled and that love filled and that compassion filled. That's hard. But see, we, church, have to stop defining God's blessing and God's favor based on our own American cultural standards. And that's the problem with the church. And that's why people, when they come to church, they, it doesn't feel genuine, it doesn't feel honest. And real because we have made an Americanized version of Jesus. And we've said that that's what God's favor looks like when everything is comfortable and pure and whole and okay. And where nobody's messed up, nobody's hurting, and relationships aren't weird, and no one has struggles, and nobody's kids are a little off. And marriages are perfect. And giving is up. People shout your name and praise your kingdom. And that's what we define God's paper as. And so, of course, people who are yearning for life and looking for an answer won't come into a church that doesn't have any of that and find it. So, we have to stop making God's blessing an American statement of hope. We value stuff and comfort rather than pouring ourselves out and into what matters, what changes people, what's important. And, and it's in those moments when that comfort is threatened that we've defined what God's favor looks like and blessing in this Americanized culture. It's when those things are threatened and hurt that we get most defensive and most angry. And we attack. Because if we can rip that down, then we can feel better about where we are. If we can invalidate that person, that makes our stance and our statement even better. Because we've said that God's favor looks like us being comfortable and happy. I just don't know that anybody in this moment would look at Mary and look what happened to her while they're staring her right in the face and go, yeah, that looks like a blessing. Now, pregnancy. Listen, we've had two kids, which is awesome. And I don't know that outside of the overall arching, like, we're going to have a baby thought, I don't know that my wife being seven months pregnant in the middle of summer was a great blessing in those moments sir, always, right? Like throwing up, being hot and sweaty, and then be being in trouble for it. You know? But how much more so is a pregnant 16 year old girl? Well, we believe this lie, this favor ain't fair theology, that God's favor looks very much like ease and comfort. But if, if that's what God's favor looked like, then I got news, guys. There would be no need for us growing in grace, there would be no need for us growing in peace. And forgiveness, there'd be no process of this big Christian word called sanctification, which is basically us becoming more like Jesus and less like us. God's favor doesn't look like personal ease all the time. Sometimes, in fact, if you go through the scripture, you'll see when God calls people, he doesn't call them to great, wonderful things. That's why we went through Jonah last month. Because when God called Jonah, he wasn't excited about it. It was hard. When God called disciples, it was to not have a home and not have comforts and maybe die be murdered and killed. When God called prophets, it was to go into the middle of the city and proclaim God's word and judgment and go to kings and tell them to bow down to the king. Which would be death. See, God's call is true. Honest call doesn't always look like favor and fair. If we are willing to move the gospel and truth and hope into things like Oh yeah, I got that front parking spot at the mall. Or check out this deal I got on a TV. Like if, if that's where the heart of our gospel theology is, then no wonder churches are dying. Because sometimes God's favor doesn't look like personal needs. And so most of us know how the rest of the story goes here, but I want to dive back in verse 38 as we prepare for this beautiful moment. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to turn my page. The Mary said, listen to Mary's response here. It's amazing. Behold, I'm am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Think back. So think back on all that stuff we just talked about. Here's Mary's response. You're pregnant. You're favored. You're blessed. Oh, and culturally you might be killed and stoned. Her response is, I'm a servant of the Lord. Whatever whatever it is that God wills for me, let it be done. Y'all listen, we planted a church 11 months ago or so. I'm not going to lie to you, there are many days that I didn't have that attitude. Because it's hard. Because sometimes the call of God is tough. It makes you sacrifice things and hurt a lot. It breaks your heart for people who are going to break yours. But the fight is worth it. Because when God calls you to something great, when his favor doesn't look like ease, it's worth it in the end to say, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. When God calls you out of something that you're doing, when God calls you to do something bigger than you, when God says, go do this thing, sometimes we have to stop and understand God's goodness and go, you know what, I don't get this, but whatever you want, God. How much would our city and our world change if that was our attitude? It wasn't about what we wanted, but it was about what Jesus did. When God called us, we didn't go, God, I don't know. Are you sure you weren't talking to that, Sean, over there? Cause That doesn't sound fun to me. And yeah, that's what Mary does. And I want you to think back, because we're about to dive in in 2019, if you can believe that. 2020, we're supposed to have flying cars, so they better get it together. I want you to think back on this past year. Just consider it. <coughs> what seemingly impossible thing did God bring you through? Was there a moment, a day, a time when you sat and you just lost it and you, went, that's it, I, I can't make it through. I don't know that I'm going to get through this day or this week or this month. Consider that. Just for a second. This is a exercise for everyone. Go ahead. <laughs> Was there a moment in you that said, I don't know that I'm going to make this through. See, as I was studying and reading through this, one of the verses that popped up was out of Isaiah 48. And it's not a fun verse. It goes again with this idea that you are blessed, you are favored, and now you're pregnant. (coughs) This is what the prophet Isaiah says. That God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says, see, I have refined you. Not as silver, but I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Sweet. Sign me up. But how often does that feel dead on? And you're like, God, I'm doing what you want me to, right? I'm praying, I'm reading, and now the Holy Spirit is moving in me and making me do these things, and I'm going, this doesn't feel good. This feels like a furnace. This this hurts. It's not fun. God, if you love me, Why would you put me in this situation that's hard, that hurts, that other people that he doesn't have to go through? Because sometimes God refines us, and it's a fire, it's a furnace of affliction, and hardship, and pain. And grace, and life, and peace, and comfort come out of it. Because God is making us more like him in the blessed moments. So, what seemingly impossible thing are you walking through right now? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's financially. You're waiting. And I, I want to, Todd said some stuff that was awesome today. And um, I want to encourage you in something kind of a side note. My wife and I took a step a few years ago to give to, give, um, to the church that we were at. And I'm telling you what, um, we don't have more money, we don't have more stuff. Man, the way the Lord delivers in those moments is insane. And so when He says, "Test me," I want you to honestly consider what that looks like. Test Him as Word. But maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're going, God, I'd love to give. I need You to give more first. Let's <sighs> we'll talk about Jesus. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're saying, like, God, I'm. I i do not feel You. I don't hear You. Where are You? Let's scroll down to verse 46. This is Mary's response to her favor, to God blessing her, to her having a, a cultural stoning. Basically, it's called a Magnificat, which is a really fancy word that I totally knew what it meant, but it means to tell out the greatness of the Lord. This is what she says. And Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord." He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. That's Mary's response to being pregnant. <laughs> How good is the Lord! what I want to do, I want to give four quick things that I want you to hear and understand and consider this week as you prepare for Christmas next week. Because we're going to throw it down next week, it's going to be awesome. Just, everybody invite somebody, let's just fill this up once, make me feel real happy. It's going to be good, man, Christmas is going to be killer. But I want you to consider these four things as we get ready for that, that week, this week coming up. First thing is we're reading verse 46 through 48. This is the first part of Mary's um, <clears throat> telling out the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, which is really important for theology. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here's what we learn from this first statement of Mary's Magnificat. I feel like you have to say that very fancy. All right, somebody I'm sure can make it sound better, but here's what we learned, and this is what you need to know and understand. That thing one is this that God uses faithful sinners to bring about his kingdom plan. All right, I want you to know that. I don't want you to hear that and be like, oh, it sounds great. Yeah, we're Christians. God does things. No, God uses faithful sinners to bring about his kingdom plan. Consider the depth of that. Just for a second, put that on yourself. Like, listen, I've got news for you. Okay, listen, I didn't go study. I, I, I didn't check your Facebook and see what you were doing Friday. But God knows, no I'm just right? I didn't go research you. We don't know all the all the bad stuff you do. I don't know all the good stuff you do. But I know this: you are a sinner. All right, you mess up. Nobody's perfect. So let's just. Let's go ahead and let that, let that wall down. Okay. Everybody knows that you're somewhat of a screw up. You feel better. No, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Everybody knows that we're not perfect. Everybody knows we have struggle. Everybody knows we have issues. Everybody knows we have doubts. Everybody knows we have fear. And yet, what we see, the very first thing that Mary says in this moment, is that she says, God uses faithful sinners. Right? Because that's what she says. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And that through that, all generations will know her. Be blessed, because that's what God does. He uses Faithful sinners. And and if you think that's not really accurate, I want you to go back and I'm just going to name a few people in the Bible, okay? a little spiritual test. This guy named Paul, a rich zealot, who rounded up Christians and gave them to Nero so that he could light them on fire and throw his garden parties and God calls Paul who writes a large portion of the New Testament who plants hundreds of churches and Paul says I'm the chief sinners. or Peter the fisherman probably one of my favorites right cuz I feel like if I was hanging out with Jesus I would say something stupid too anybody else <laughs> Right? I just I talk too much and I say dumb things. If you guys have been around me for more than 10 minutes, you know that, right, Riley? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I would be the guy like Peter who pulls a sword out right in the middle of the garden, starts chopping people's ears off, and I pass out. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, the very same Peter that Jesus said, Get away from me, Satan, in that garden. Is the one that later he reinstalls and calls him the rock of the church. Hmm. How about King David? A man who sent another woman's husband to the front line to die so he could have her. Oh, God also calls him a man after God's own heart. So sinner. All of us, okay? All of us. Why do you disqualify yourself? Why do you think that God cannot use you to bring about his kingdom? Why, why can church be a thing where we just come Sunday or once in a while or we pray every now and then? How can church be that if, if, if you are honestly pursuing Jesus, and know that God will use you to change the world, then we have to get past this idea that we're too bad for him. You have to. Or that you're not good enough, or you don't speak well to people, or sharing the gospel is scary. Listen, I'm not telling you to go in and be like, hi, random person, I'd love to read you all of the gospel right now. you sit down for a while? It's going to take about three and a half hours. <laughs> right, I'm just telling you, live like Jesus. Talk to people. Love people. Be willing and patient and open. So you don't get to disqualify you. And the one who does, doesn't. But again, it's not a life of ease, it's a life of blessing and favor. Thing two, verse 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Here's the thing, too, that you need to remember as you're walking through this God's favor thing. That God is a mighty deliverer. That he is a strong warrior. That he is a tower. That he is faithful. See, we've forgotten that as well. You know how I know? Because we still control things. Because we still make things safe. And here's what we tell the Lion of Judah. We tell him, here's the box of safety that I've constructed, operate in that, and fix things when I need you. That's what we told the God of creation. Hey, I'm going to clean my life up. All right? I'm going to make everything really nice. Here's my Christian box. I prayed on this side. I read my Bible over here. I gave $5 to a homeless dude over here. So operate in that and fix things for me. But now, when we read this, what Mary says, she says that he is a strong warrior. He has a mighty hand. See, here's the same word that Mary uses for God throughout the Old Testament. In Joshua 22, the same word is used. It's about God being the victor and and knocking down all the people who would oppose Joshua as he went in and possessed the promised land. In Psalm 50, the psalmist writes, it is God who makes the earth move. It is God who makes the sun rise. It is God who makes the waves fall and the storms settle. That the mighty God that this this moment has for Mary is the same one who calms the seas and brings the storms makes the earth spin and the universe work. Isaiah 1 says it is God who fights our battles. It is God who is your vengeance. It is God who is the hope in the middle of your hardship. It is God who brings relief when you thought there was none. That's the mighty that Mary says there. It's a God who redeems, who fights for you. waiting more on everyone who opposed you, who is your vengeance and who is your hope. That right there. He was mighty. See, Mary knew she had nothing to fear. When the angel pronounced a cultural death sentence for her, Mary knew that her trust was in someone bigger than her who would fight her battles, who would win for her, who had already won for her, who would protect her. Who would take care of her? She had a victor. And and being in the Lord's hand means she ended up in a fear. But you know how I know we're bad at that? Because we're full of fear. Because that's natural. I'm not telling you not to fear, I'm fearful. I need to repent of that too. Follow Jesus more. But no matter what that battle was, she knew that we have a victor. Not her victor is your victor, is our victor. Thing three. This is my favorite. I'm gonna get excited, okay? Are y'all okay? We go for another five minutes here, I'm gonna get excited. Just so, letting you know. Thing three, verse 51-53, and then I'll say what it is. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Let me tell you what God sent through Mary's pregnancy. God did not send a pacifist wuss who walked around blessing people, apologizing for them. God sent a revolutionary. See, this actually has the same form as Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. And Hannah's song says that as Samuel was being given to her and being born, that he would bring the, the, the um, poor up to the nobles. Even level. Those who are hungry would be filled. Even level. if Jesus came back today, he wouldn't come in and wear his rebel flag, have barbecue, and be like, I've been imperfect here. He is a revolutionary. He changes lives. He installs people where they should be in a rightful place. Not based on their socioeconomics, not based on their heritage, not based on their lives, but based on who he says they are. See, in her womb was a social revolutionary. A dangerous, dangerous, God, man. Not a narcissistic pacifist. See, what happened was, as Jesus came down, in his words, he came to bring the sword. He came to mess stuff up. And I got news for you, man. If you're following Jesus and it's not messing you up a little bit, let, let's take some time and pray through that a little bit. Let's consider where you are. It's not a condemning statement. It's a come with us and let let's figure this out together. Because Jesus came to bring a sword. Now I'm not saying go fight people. I right, don't do that. I get it. Christmas. We already talked about Winterfrey. I'm saying fight for people. I'm saying fight against those who can't fight for themselves. I'm saying, be the person who will go out and love somebody who doesn't look like you, sound like you, doesn't have it all figured out. Is skeptical, is fearful. Go into that person's life, be willing to fight for them because they have a place at the table just as much as you do. And it's time we stop looking at what we look like, what we think, and allowing people to come to our table and just take a seat next to them and know that they're there as well. You all want to know how to be a different church? Do that. Amen. I There's a lot of churches you can go to. you want to be comfortable, but but when Jesus came down, what we celebrate next week is that Jesus was a revolutionary. He loved people that culture told him he wasn't supposed to love. But are are you willing to go to people that don't fit in the southern culture Christian church? Because I got news for you, they're not here right now, but they're out there. They exist, and we gotta stop acting like they don't. Jesus came down to bring justice and a sword. Here's <clears> what <throat> I want: I want us to be revolutionary in how we do that. I'm not telling you to go on the news and do something just totally ridiculous. I'm just telling you to love people who think church people can't love them. That's all. have to worry about being the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about being the paradigm shift in their life, because that's what Jesus does. That's a point of the Holy Spirit. That's what he comes in and does. His role is to change hearts. To reveal God to people. That's what he does. All we're called to do is to get from there. And so, think and We'll close up with this, and y'all can come up. <clears throat> 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Here's the fourth thing we need to know as we prepare for this Christmas season to come, the culmination of the birth of the Savior. That God is doing today what he has already has done in the past, and what he is going to do in the future. That God is steadfast. That God is, that listen, this is a, oh, this is good. I should have written this down, but now it's just here, so. We're just going to deal with it. Right? It's time we started believing that the God that we serve, who says he loves us and is steadfast in that, and calls us his beloved, is the very same God who separated the Red Seas. It's the very same God who calmed the storms. It's the very same God that came down and actually died on a cross and then defeated death and raised up is the very same God that Hezekiah was fearful because Xerxes was approaching him and had killed off armies and was taking over the world, that an angel, a messenger of the Lord, came and knocked out 120,000 soldiers overnight. So when Hezekiah got up, it was God's victory, not his. The God you serve, the God who will be born, who is born, who will celebrate being born, is the same God that has done all of those things that also will do those things for you. Now look, in ten minutes you're going to have the opportunity to walk out of here and not just be another thing you heard. But the same God that Mary considers who has helped his servant Israel through remembrance of his mercy who spoke to the fathers of the faith to Abraham and his offspring that is the God who's working within you. And just as God delivered his loved people in Egypt, in Assyria, throughout the books of judges and kings, bringing hope through prophets and priests, just as God spoke to his people, just as God has remained active, just as he answers your prayers and hears you as his people, just as God still delivers hope, because he's still in the business of that today, Will do for you. And he will do for the people who are gonna sit in the seats next to you that are empty. He'll do for the people in your lives you are begging the Lord to show himself to and to deliver. And he will answer every prayer and every need. Now, again, yeah, it might not look like you want it. But it's not for that hope is That was or that's going to be, and so that hope is here. And as we celebrate that next week, I hope you consider that. That hope is not on the way, it's already here. And so, then, my question for you is this in the seemingly depth of your impossibility, in the thing that you're fighting through that you think there's no deliverance from, that you're just going to have to wake up. And push through and go to sleep and wake up and push through. Are you truly willing to trust God to be exactly who he says he is? To know that in the depth of your seemingly impossible lies a God of the impossible. That when the world will cast judgment your way or disqualify you or say that your story is finished, that God instead brings peace. And hope and comfort. Not as he fixes everything, but as he picks you up and walks with you. Because as the angel told Mary, one favorite woman, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid if you have found favor with God. And next week we're going to celebrate that. And I hope that you'll consider that this week as we come together. Because then of this game, the end of this story, rather, is this. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, is born in the city of David, a Savior, and is Christ the Lord. He has named Emmanuel because, church, no matter what you're dealing with and what you're going through, the name brings truth you are blessed, and you are favored, and that as Emmanuel is, God is with us. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's message and that you feel so encouraged by who God is and who He thinks and knows you are as well. If you have any questions about our church or our ministry, you can check us out at trailside.church. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have an incredible, incredible day.